All right, if you would now uh, take your scriptures with me, whether it's on a mobile device or on a hard copy, join me in James chapter 5. Appreciate Tony Anderson as our pastor of counseling and executive pastor filling in for me last week, finishing up James chapter 4. As we make plans, what do we need to know? Uh, This morning, as we look at the opening verses in James chapter 5, the truth we need to know is the truth we need to know when we are rich. The truth we need to know when we are rich. We know that because here's how chapter 5 starts. Come now, you rich. Now, uh, as soon as you hear that, almost inevitably, we never consider ourselves rich. We consider people who have a little bit more than us. Those are the rich ones. The rich ones are always have a little bit more than us. So when he says, come now, you who are rich... Who's he talking to? Well, if you look at average income globally, the average is 12,000 a year. So, if you're above average globally, then the vast majority, if not everybody here is rich. But usually, it's difficult to define rich by a number, because numbers change. Not only over time, numbers change from culture to culture. And really, again, when we think rich, we usually tend to think in comparison to ourselves. So what is rich? Because we have to define that before we see what he says, come now, you who are rich. Rich biblically is not difficult to understand. Rich biblically is simply this. You have more than what you need. Now that can get slippery because needs are slippery, right? <laughs> Do you need the newest iPhone? Yeah, so like, uh-huh, yes, I do, I'm a, I'm a techie. And you're going yes, I need it for my job. I know, I've heard that one. I need it for my job. So need is always a little slippery. But rich, really, biblically, is simply this. I have what I need for today, plus some. I'm not like today going, if I don't get something, some income, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. So that, that, honestly, lowers the bar of what we would define as rich in our thinking. That's not difficult if you're struggling with that. Just look up rich in the, in the dictionary, an abundance. You have more than what you need. So all of us to varying degrees really are rich. Vast majority of us have more than what we need. So what do we, this has been the theme of James. What do we need to know when we have more than what we need? Now, I'm about to read the first six verses. You're going to follow along if you have a scripture in front of you. And then just give me a heads up. It's going to feel like we got a two by four across our head. Okay? And we'll see that he has a stinging rebuke for the rich. It's not the full and complete understanding of being rich according to the word of God. So we're going to jump out of James after we see what he says. But we have to ask ourselves, what's he say about being rich and what do we need to know? How does this first apply to us? So you ready for the two by four? No, when are you ready for a two by four? Never. All right. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Wow, what a great start. Weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. 
It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Not the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. That's, that's maybe a two by eight, not just a two by four. That's, that's a stinging rebuke, is it not? It's not, again, the full word, but James is addressing something of deep concern regarding what was happening with those who were rich in his day. This rebuke is so strong that actually some folks go, I don't think he's talking to Christians here. But I don't really know how you get there exegetically. In other words, honest study. The last passage that Tony taught last week said, come now you who make plans. But we, nobody thought, oh, I'm not sure if he's talking to Christians there. And now how does he start this? Come now you who are rich. So he's dealing with some specific things that are, that are happening in his day and his time. And they surface some principles of we need to ask in our current day. First, he's simply addressing this, that we're gonna give an account for how we earned or gained our riches. He's not concerned, he's confronting how the rich, some of them had gotten their riches. And did you notice how they had gotten their riches? They had an abundance because, behold, verse four, he said, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting, in other words, not only did they mow, they did the harvesting, and what didn't you do? You didn't pay them. And he's simply going, uh, you need to know if you have an abundance, you're gonna give an account for how you got that. Abundance, And I need to ask, we all need to ask, am I guilty of withholding what is rightfully owed? Am I guilty of withholding what is rightfully owed? See, if you have an abundance, but what's in your pocket really... belongs to somebody else because of service they provided, work they have done, or simply, and I know this bugs the snot out of us, but taxes we owe, ever been like, come on, I have. I thought, come on, my friend sells me a piece of equipment and I have to pay the government taxes because we made it an exchange? And he, he put the sales price on and I was like, God, why didn't you tell me you sold it for like a dollar? Why, why not? Because he didn't. <laughs> and so, any abundance in my pocket that belongs really to somebody else, but for one reason or another, and they all make sense to us when we justify, for one reason or another, we justified not paying what was rightfully owed. If you're rich and some of your riches rightfully belong to somebody else, he's gone. That, the cries of those people are reaching the Lord. So that's what we need to know. Uh, second, he says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man and he does not resist you. That might sound confusing, but this is pretty simple what's happening. The wealthy are taking advantage of those who do not have resources and they don't resist because they 
they can't resist. You've heard it takes money to make money. And sometimes, sometimes, not always by any means, but sometimes that simply means when I have money, I can take advantage of people who don't have money. And that's exactly what's happening, that James is saying, not only do I need to know that I'm going to give an account for if I'm withholding what is rightfully owed, uh, I'm going to give an account if I'm taking advantage of uh, the defenseless. I'm making, I want you to understand, I'm making zero accusations. It's not like I know seven people who are doing this. Simply saying this is what was happening. And we should ask ourselves, whether personally, or, and this, this can get hard, or the company or the business that I'm participating in, is any of this happening? And therefore, by working for them, I am gaining wealth by taking advantage of the defenseless, or I am gaining wealth by not paying what is rightfully owed. As followers of Jesus, James is simply saying, this should not be, this should not be so. Understand that you are rich now but the Lord sees, and there will be judgment. Not hell judgment. That punishment has been paid for by Christ. But there will be judgment for believers who are living as if they're not going to give an account. That's, that's the two by four. The second two by four is this. That we're foolish, he says, when we live in what he describes as self-indulgent luxury. We're foolish when we live in self-indulgent luxury. He had said, here it is, verse 5, we have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life wanton pleasure, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This word here, wanton, simply unrestrained. It's, in other words, I've used all of my excess on whom? On me and pleasing myself. Every luxury within my means Every opportunity for pleasure for me within my means, I've taken advantage of. And he's gone, you're fattening your heart for the day of slaughter. Three, three ways this is foolish according to this text. It's first, he says, it's foolish because what we buy just won't last. Now, we know that, right? <laughs> it's not going to last. And sometimes we just need to remember, why am I investing so much in things that won't last? Uh, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. I realized as I was studying this text that I have an aroma very familiar to me that my kids, I don't think, know a single thing about. How many of you know the aroma of mothballs? And no one over th under 30 raised their hands right there. Because you're like, a mothball? What's a mothball? I don't know. I, I haven't done any extensive study on this. It's just that I realized when we grew up, there was stuff in the attic that smelled like mothballs because my parents were trying to preserve it from <laughs> moths. They were not trying to attract them. They were trying to preserve it from being eaten, taking garments out that had not been worn since last winter season, and now they have holes in it because moths, and so they put mothballs in it, and it kept it away. What's he saying there, moth? When he says, uh, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten, what's he simply saying? You have so much more than what you need. You just have stuff in 
storage, which is big business storage. Just drive around town and see the big business in storage. Again, that's a little bit of a two by four against our head when we think we have houses filled with stuff. I do. I go up my attic and I go, why do I have this stuff up here? And why do I? Because I want to, I might need it. I'm going to save it. I'm really not going to save it. I'm just waiting for 10 more years and then I'll feel better about throwing it out. Ever been there? It was like, this is, it's just got a clock tick on, and it's just, it hadn't hit zero yet, but I'm going to throw it out. But I really can't throw out my kids' stuff from kindergarten. Do they want it? Yeah, I'm way out of the text right now, but, uh, <laughs> but what I recognize is I am prone to save stuff, and then we go, you want this? And they're like, no, I don't want that. He's saying, when you're rich, you store stuff. And you know what happens when you store stuff? It just goes to waste. So when I have an abundance and I pour it all into stuff, I have to recognize the foolishness of it won't last. Your gold, your silver have rusted. Their rust will be a witness against you and consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days. You get the the irony of here? It's in the last days you've stored up treasure. It doesn't make any sense. Why are we storing it up if it's the last days? Well, I'm not sure if it's the last days. He's going... Your stuff won't last. We won't last. We won't last. We're here temporarily. And so a life of unrestrained pleasure, of unrestrained luxury living, it loses sight of the temporary nature of ourselves And maybe most important, this. It loses sight of this reality. Our hearts are going to follow our treasure. Our hearts follow our treasure. In fact, it's what makes our stuff treasure. You have some stuff that you don't treasure. And you have other stuff that you go, no, that's treasure. And it's the stuff that your heart has followed. That's why he simply says, you fatten your heart for slaughter. We know our hearts follow our treasure because exactly what Jesus said, remember James takes so much from the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus spoke in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And James simply follows and says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter by Everything you've poured your life in, that's where your heart's going to be. This is the tension with being rich. Let's just acknowledge it. The tension with being rich is Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that James is pulling from here, you can't serve God and money. One of them is going to have your heart. And when my money has my heart, it dictates what I do with the Lord. Ever notice that? When money has my heart, it dictates what I do with the Lord. But when the Lord has my heart, it dictates what I do with my money. So it's where my heart is. And he's simply acknowledging This is why, let's not pull this away from believers and say, oh, these are the rich unbelievers. No, these are rich believers who their heart has become consumed with the the pleasure of luxurious living. He's simply saying, when we come to Christ, when Christ grabs our heart, It changes what we do with our stuff.
one of the, I had never before uh, taken this two by four to the head. Uh, I had never connected this passage with Zacchaeus until this time. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't know that song from being a kid, uh, some of the best Bible stories get given to the kids and therefore as adults, we don't think about them anymore. But Zacchaeus was a guy who was rich and he was rich, why? <laughs> because he had taken advantage of the defenseless and he was not, he was a cheat. He was a tax collector. So he was exactly what James is addressing here. He was rich because of how he had gained his riches. But he had heard about Jesus, but recognizing the crowd would be vast and he was short, that he climbed up into a tree to be able to see Jesus. And Jesus stops and has an encounter with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is completely changed by his encounter with Jesus. Totally, totally not prepared that Jesus would embrace him as a tax collector. And when Jesus does, and I hope you'll catch this, when Jesus captures our heart, what happens? It changes what we do with our stuff. What's Zacchaeus do? He stops and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor. And, I have to, and if I've defrauded anyone, <laughs> and there's no if there. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said this. <laughs> the ones I've defrauded, I'm going to give back four times as much. I think that's a powerful Honestly, it's almost like, and it didn't because James wrote this, what we just have studied, long after Zacchaeus lived. But it's almost like Zacchaeus read James 5, 1 through 6 and went, whoa, I need to change what I'm doing. I need to stop cheating and actually give to people what is rightfully theirs. And this life of luxury that only considers me, I need to consider others instead of just me. I think Zacchaeus, watch, I think Zacchaeus demonstrates in real life what it means to follow Jesus when we're rich. We go, did he sell all of his possessions? See, this is what gets hard. I mean, let me just acknowledge, this is what gets hard. When you hear this and you see this, it is like, oh no. Well, should we turn the AC off on Sunday mornings for worship service, cancel the electricity, sell the seats? Yeah, so thank you. One of you's going, no, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> Are we wrong to have AC? I don't think so. But do you understand, do you, do you ever wrestle with these things of, okay, if, if I don't want to be guilty of living luxuriously to the detriment of others, where's the line? That's hard. A friend, I spoke to him this morning because he was here Thursday night and he sent me a picture either Friday or yesterday of a lobster sandwich. And he said, I'm glad I ordered this before Thursday. I wouldn't have been able to enjoy it. <laughs> so let me help you with this. I hope this will help. James is confronting something very clearly and I'm not minimizing it. But as he did two weeks ago when he confronted judgment, which by the way, it's easy to judge people and how they handle their stuff. So beware. You don't have to give an account to me for how you handle your riches, right? We, we serve our own master. 
I have to remind some, because some people will ask me stuff they wouldn't ask you, like, how much did you pay for that vehicle, Doug? <laughs> they wouldn't generally ask you, but they ask me stuff like that. <laughs> really? How much you pay for that house? We have to give an account to our master. So, he only tells us what we need to stop. What do we need to do? That's why I want us to, uh, to move from what James says here in James 5. I hope you go, yeah, I think I understand that passage. What he's saying, we're going to give an account for. What, looks, what is foolish when we're rich? But, but what does wisdom look like? Turn with me from James 5 to 1 uh, Timothy. This is, this is now the New Testament coming at riches from, if you will, start doing after James says, stop doing this with your riches. All right? See the transition we're doing? So 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, uh, here's what you need to teach those who are rich, who you're leading. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. First, don't be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Why? Why not fix your hope on riches? Uh, two things. Because they actually truly will never satisfy, number one. Number two, they're uncertain. They can take wings, right? Yes, they can. Don't fix hope on that, on riches, but on God. Who, and I want you to see this, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So, can you enjoy a lobster roll? You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's wrong to enjoy a lobster roll. Unless you're not paying your bills. Seriously. If you can't pay your bills, don't eat a lobster roll. Pay your bills. But he, he gives us things to enjoy. Part of how we enjoy them is instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. See, he, here's what's happening. When we get an abundance, there's no lack of opportunity to spend it on us. Right? I mean, the catalogs never run off. There's always more stuff to buy. There's always more things to enjoy. And we can enjoy them. But not only. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. See, it's the exact opposite. James is saying, you understand the foolishness of your luxurious living and the constant just feeding of self? That stuff won't last and you're not going to last. Paul says to Timothy, no, let's see it from the other direction. Let's see how we can take the, the abundance that God has given to us and be able to enjoy it, but not only enjoy it ourselves, be able to bless other people with it and in the process... Use that which won't last for things that will last. There's the key. I hope you, I hope you won't miss that. It's not a two by four. You got anything you're enjoying in your life? Stop it. <laughs> Don't you love Jesus? Yeah, he gave you things to enjoy. And one of the greatest joys we can have with our abundance is sharing with others because what we share with others we'll get to actually enjoy for all eternity. That's a good trait. That's a good trait. That's wisdom. Foolishly, it's pouring it all into stuff that won't last. So let me give you quickly some New Testament verbs and adverbs for uh, biblical stewardship. 
Now let me define that word stewardship before we jump in. Uh, stewardship is simply acknowledging what I have, if, if God has made me rich, it actually belongs to him, not me. So as a steward, I have an accountability with, for what I do with it because it's not actually mine. That's the fundamental difference right there. I, I need to come to a place in my riches to recognize they're not mine to do with what I want. They actually belong to the Lord because if I have it, he gave it to me. And if he gave it to me and it's his, then I am accountable for, well, what does the true owner want me as manager to do with his stuff? So it's biblical stewardship. And this may surprise you, but biblical stewardship has three verbs to it, not just one. Spend, save, and share. We usually, regrettably, almost only think in the church that stewardship is about what I share. I'm gonna give an account to the Lord for what I share. Here's the problem with that thinking. What I share is directly connected to what I spend and save. Because if I don't spend and save appropriately, guess what? I have, not, I have nothing to, to share. So without question, James was saying, you're going to give an account for how you've spent, how you've lived luxuriously, only thinking of yourself. Because in doing so, you didn't have anything to, to share. And you probably foolishly didn't save anything. So a biblical stewardship I give an account not just for what I give, but for what I spend. That helps me, honestly. Go on Amazon, and before you click buy, <laughs> all right, I'm going to give an account for, for what I buy. Because what I buy, and for me, what I save impacts what I share. So here are the adverbs. Remember adverbs from fifth grade? Maybe not the L-Y words. That'll help you. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember L-Y's. Uh, spend. I think the biblical stewardship says I spend wisely. Hey, life is, in reality, is I do spend. You can't live and go, I'm, I'm not going to spend anything. You are. Spend wisely. Why? Because the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So I want to spend in a manner that doesn't cause me to be the lender's slave. It's pretty simple. The wise spend less than they make. People say, oh, my finances are a wreck. I'm just, I'm just not good with numbers. That has nothing to do with numbers. It has everything to do with this heart. Stewardship is not being good with numbers. Stewardship is recognizing unrestrained luxury will always lead you to spend more than what you can make. So I simply start with, I'm not going to spend any more than what I make. But it can't be even. See, this isn't newsflash to you, but much of America makes this much and spends this much. And so we think it's a huge victory if we get a flat budget. But what doesn't that take into account? <laughs> Saving and 
sharing. So biblical stewardship not only spends less than what I make, it does something called this. Biblical stewardship spends after I recognize that stewardship involves saving and sharing as well. If I, if I don't recognize that, then, and this happens, maybe this has happened to you. Oh, I want to give, but I don't have anything left to give. I've already spent or saved. But both of them can compete. How many of you would say the greatest competing to your sharing is your spending? Anybody? All right. Wow. This is not a very honest group this morning. <laughs> How many would say, oh, it's your saving? The rest of you are perfect stewardships. Let's close our Bibles and go home. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I, I don't mind. Growing up, without doubt, uh, I was taught to live very, 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 very frugally. Very frugally. Very, very frugally. <laughs> My mom was convinced that one of those things of orange concentrate was for multiple gallons of orange juice. We still laugh at her that we ever never actually had orange juice. We had lightly orange tinted water. That's what we had. And that extended to everything in life. Literally, we never went out to eat. Because it was cheaper to eat at home. I'm very grateful. Where my heart gets sticky, saving. I got my adverbs, and I'll come back to this in a moment. I had my adverbs, adverbs mixed up. I had spend wisely in like capital letters. Well, my wife didn't consider it wise. She was like, we have to spend some money. <laughs> but we spend after we save and share. Save responsibly. Every once in a while, uh, I'll run into a believer who goes, no, I don't think you should save. That's not trusting the Lord. The scripture says it's responsible to save. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, no, in other words, no one making the ant do it, prepares her food when? In the summer. Gathers when? In the harvest. Why? Why do they prepare in the summer and gather in the fall if you will harvest? Why? Because winter's coming. Uh, save responsibly. They say because future expenses are certain. <laughs> Income? Not. That's, that's just the reality. Some of you are, are going, wow, how do I figure out saving for retirement? Because how many years am I going to have all expense, all outflow and zero inflow? How long is winter going to be? <laughs> Future expenses are certain, income is not. This is why Proverbs says, there's precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but foolish man, if it's there, swallows it all up. It's, saving is not a, oh, I'm not trusting the Lord. Saving is wisdom. It understands reality of I cannot predict my future income, but I can know that expenses will always be part of living. So uh, the responsible save three to six months of expenses. Now, 
You may go, where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. (laughs) That is not a biblical verse. You know what that is? That is baby step three from Financial Peace University. And if you've never taken a Financial Peace University, I want to just uh, encourage you. Oh, we didn't get it put in there. So we won't. We just got a blank slide there. Financial Peace University is a class we're going to offer again in August. And if you've never taken it, I grew up, I think, being taught good biblical stewardship. And and I led our newly married group of 40 through it this spring. And I was so grateful for my parents because I realized they had demonstrated and taught me financial peace. Oh, there it is. Financial Peace University. without ever me taking the class. And what I like about it is this, there's very simple baby steps that will help us understand what it means to spend wisely and save responsibly and then share, and we'll give that adverb in a moment. So if you've never been through, or what I loved about leading our newly married through is we got them early because you can dig a hole financially really fast and it take a long time to fill that sucker back in. Sorry if that offended you that I just said sucker. (laughs) (laughs) You can dig a hole a lot faster financially than you can fill it back in. So our goal was let's get these couples before they dig their hole too fast. But some of you are in a financial hole and you think it's an income problem. And it's not an income problem. So FPU will start again Thursday, August 30th. And I want to encourage you, this is a real need, not only within the church, but real people, real need for people that you work with, real need for people maybe in your family. So not only for you to consider attending, but for you to letting other people know we're going to do that starting August 30th. On the flip side, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall where? (laughs) Like a high wall in his own imagination. In other words, sometimes the question is, have I saved enough? And other times the question is what? Have I saved too much? In other words, thinking, I don't need the Lord. I have a really strong 401k. I don't need that. I don't need the Lord. That's a real danger. Because what's the scripture say? It's just in your imagination. So I don't, I want to save responsibly. But I don't want to save as if I can save enough so that I don't need to trust the Lord. Sometimes it's our spending that undermines our sharing, and other times it's our saving that undermines our sharing. So we want to spend wisely, save responsibly, and share generously. Share generously. In the work of God, in my own heart, you have to figure it out for you. I, you know, we, each, we each give an account to our master. For me, it was a little mixed up. It was spend wisely, save generously, and share responsibly. And the more I interacted with the scriptures, the greater I saw the transformation, the change that needed to happen in my own heart. That that actually sharing was not about being responsible and saving generous, but flipping it. I should save responsibly and share generously. It's clearly the word that scripture connects with sharing. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is not rocket science. If you put a few seeds out, 
you're gonna get a few crops. If you put a lot of seeds out, you're gonna get a lot of harvest. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is why at the chapel, and I don't know how you grew up, if you grew up in church hearing the word tithing, but we don't teach tithing at CFC because in no letter to a church do we ever see tithing being taught. If you're not familiar with that word, tithing is the idea that my income, I give God 10% and the other 90% is mine. (laughs) That's the problem right there with tithing. Once I pay God off, the rest is mine. That's called a God tax. And biblical stewardship says not 10% belongs to the Lord, that 100% belongs to the Lord. And so before the Lord, I spend, I save, and I share. And I purpose in my heart, not grudgingly, I gotta give a certain percentage. Not under compulsion, but I purpose in my heart, believing. If I sow sparingly, I'm gonna reap sparingly. But if I'll sow bountifully, I will reap bountifully. That God, do you believe this? God gives seed to whom? Sowers, not hoarders. See, my heart can hoard. And God does not give seed to hoarders. God gives seed to sowers. He's a smart farmer because he recognizes no seed that's been hoarded has ever produced any fruit. It just got rotted and eaten by moths. That's the biblical picture. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for, don't miss it, every good deed. You see it? It's been perverted by some of this, what would be called the prosperity gospel, that if you'll be generous, then God will make you rich for you. And so we've sometimes abandoned this passage, and we shouldn't abandon it. We should say, here's what the passage says. God gives seed to sowers. And abundant sowers, he gives abundant seed. Because he's a smart farmer. Seriously, he's a smart farmer. And what's the smart farmer want? Crops. For a bountiful harvest, what do you need? Bountiful sowing. So who is going to purpose in the heart to sow seed? Ah, that's the person I'm going to give seed. That's the heart of the Lord. And so it's not a matter of Give 10% so that you can do whatever you want with the 90%. It's that 100% belongs to the Lord. And therefore, before him, I want to spend less than I want to make, less than I make, and I'm going to spend after I share and I save. I'm going to save responsibly, but I'm not going to put my hope in my savings. I'm going to purpose in my heart that the Lord gives an abundance for every good deed. The generous share as God prospers them and as they purpose in their heart. Real quickly, did I make that, change that too quickly? As God prospers and as they purpose in their heart. You've heard us say that every Sunday if you've been coming. Almost every Sunday, what do we say? If you're visiting with us, we have no expectation that you would give, and we really don't. But if this is your church, then we want you to give as God has prospered you and you have purposed in your heart. You've seen purpose in their heart from 2 Corinthians. Here's where it says prosper. 1 Corinthians 16, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. He's not talking about saving. What's he talking about here? 
He's talking about sharing with poor believers. And he simply says, in order to share with poor believers, you have to set it aside before you, before you spend it. Otherwise, you're not going to have anything to give. So put aside and save as he may prosper. As the Lord prospers you and you purpose in your heart, that's how we share. And when we share, we get to put the gospel on display. Because when we share, we recognize this, that what we give away, (laughs) we can never lose. You go, oh, you've already lost it. No, you didn't lose it. You invested it in a place where you can never lose it. That's the beauty of sharing, is that you are investing it in a place where it can never be lost. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. That's such a good passage for me to remember because it's just helped me. Every time I buy something, I remember this. It's, it's gonna break. Doug, do you wanna fix it? If I don't want to fix it, don't buy it. Seriously, it's just going to break. And my kids aren't going to replace it when they break it. That's just another aside there. (laughs) What the generous share can never be lost. Instead, it will be eternally enjoyed. That's the beauty of it. When we share, when we share, we get to be like the Lord. Do you hear what I just said? When we share, we get to be like the Lord. It, we, we have an abundance, and we have an abundance we give. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave. Something far more precious than that we could ever have in our wallet or in our account. But he gave. And when we give, it's a reflection of our love. So I want to invite the men to come forward and pass out for us the elements of the Lord's Supper. Because it's a reminder to us of love gives. These elements... If they're unfamiliar to you, are an unleavened cracker, which reminds us of the sinless body of Christ, and a cup of juice, which reminds us of the blood of Christ. Very, very simply, make sure you understand, these do not save us. Taking these will not save us. These are a reminder of the person of Jesus Christ through whom and only through whom we may be saved. And Jesus said that we should do this in remembrance of him, to remember that he, not our stuff, he is our life. This is where you find life. This is where we find life. This is where we find life. We're often prone to try to find it and other things. So as the men are passing, I want to give you some real silence to just examine our own hearts regarding our stewardship, our spending, our saving, our sharing. Do they reflect that Jesus is where we find life?
Would you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart personally, specifically regarding your own stewardship? Now maybe turn your attention to the future and invite the Holy Spirit. Is there anything, Spirit of God, that that you would want me to do differently? As you hold these elements in your hand, would you thank first the Father for the love and the sending of his Son? And second, would you thank the Lord Jesus for his obedience even to the point of death? Third, would you thank him for pouring his spirit into your heart as a believer in Jesus so that his love would flow through you? Father, thank you that you have given us life in your son. And thank you for the privilege of being the instruments through which, as you have blessed us, we can, to the praise of your glory, be a blessing to others. We take now in remembrance of your son. Let's take together the bread and the cup. Say
grateful to be with you uh, as we go. Uh, I'm really grateful for that moment there to, to thank the Lord for that empowering Holy Spirit. Because wherever I go, He's with me. And I can be one that people see Jesus in as where we go. So I do pray that for all of us and for uh, as we go out, that His kindness, His goodness, His love would flow through us. That's what it's intended to do. Um, we would bear much fruit. So if we can pray for you in any way. We have men and women available between the auditoriums that would love to pray with you. Uh, so hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks for being here. God bless.